Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This week I'm joined by the Irish actress best known for playing Claire Devlin in Dairy Girls, Nicola Coughlin. Through the power of technology, Nicola and I recorded this episode from our respective homes in different countries last week and discovered that there were a lot of similarities between our experiences of moving to London with big dreams and the reality of feeling really lonely. One of the things that I love about Nicola is her honesty. She talks about getting a lot of knockbacks in the industry and why she was actually working at an opticians and living at her parents' house when an open call audition gave her her big break. As ever, we talk about the podcast Nicola loves, including Getting Curious with Jonathan Van Ness, JVN, you know, being one of her BFFs, and The Mystery Show, which made me think of my own mystery, my missing matching socks. Anyone else find that their matching socks always disappear? Enough from me. I hope you all enjoy today's show with the lovely Nicola Coughlin. Nicola Coughlin, welcome to Castaway. Thank you for having me. Thank you for giving me something to do. <laughs> Thank you for giving me something to do. Where are you? I was trying to think when I first met you, and I can't really remember the first time I properly met you. I just feel like I've known you always, even yeah, though I think I've met you three times. I know, but yeah, when, when you just said that there, I was like, God, I have no idea, but it just feels like I've known you for a really long time. I don't know. Maybe it was at the Irish Embassy. For anyone who doesn't know, the Irish Embassy do these like lovely Irish Irish nights as they would do. And you sort of have all these Irish people together in the room. And my English friends do sometimes make fun and they go, how do you know that person? It's just because they're Irish. And I'm like, no. And then think, oh, kind of, yeah. <laughs> what yeah. I love about you is you've got so many different parts to you. There's so many things that... You even say yourself, like, you you love drama, you love theatre, yeah. you're on stage at the old Vic, but you also, you love watching Love Island, you oh, come on my it. show after Sun, and uh, you <laughs> love Drag Race. And- I love TV, I think also, I think it's true, I think we are in a golden age of television, and I think, thank God, because we need it right now, but... I I love all different types of things. Yeah, like love Love Island, obsessed with Drag Race. This current season is a really good one, actually. Thank God. When um, you came on, you came on Sun uh, this year. We went is. to the green room afterwards for a few drinks. Oh God, yeah, you can. <laughs> <laughs> and normally you stay for an extra half an hour, an hour after the show, just as a little wind down. And I just remember we sat in a corner on a sofa and started talking and started pouring the wine or whatever it was we were drinking. And next time I looked around, no one else was there but one poor runner who wanted to probably go home. And it was about one in the morning later two in the morning I know oh, it was God. it was so nice because I filming schedule in January and February was very full on I was in pretty much every day there was one stage I did like 14 days in a row in fact that might have been in the middle of it I think and yeah. um, was, I hadn't been able to socialize so that night was like such a release it was so much fun I didn't want to go home and we just kept nattering away but yeah we did end up staying <laughs> much longer than we should have well, I was very happy to be a drinking buddy that night. Me too, um, me too. It was the first time I kind of got to properly talk to you yeah. um, about other things and not just in passing. And Everyone knows you from Dairy Girls as Claire. That was the, we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Yes. But you're actually from Galway, which is the, the west of Ireland. For people who, who don't know the west of Ireland, tell us 
exactly where you're from? So I'm from Galway, right on the Atlantic. So lots and lots of rain is what I always tell people. Very beautiful, very green, but you're going to have to be prepared for rain if you come here. That's when like living in London, people complain about the weather. I'm like, you have no idea. You have no idea what it's like. Um, It was lovely. I'm the youngest of uh, four children. My dad was in the army and my mom was a stay-at-home mom. And I was the typical youngest child that was just, you know, a bit, I don't know, I guess a bit of a space cadet. I was super into like movies and TV when I was little. So I kind of went and did my own thing a little bit. And I used to like rewatch The Wizard of Oz all the time. And I had my own camcorder. So made my own home movies. and <gasps> I did that as did well. Did you? <laughs> oh, I thought I was the only one. I used to make commercials. I used to make so little I. like jazz commercials and like be Shane Ritchie and stuff and then put like stains on my <laughs> my uncle's clothes and me and my cousin used to make videos. Oh God. Yeah, I used to do the same. I used to do ones where I was like different sports casters and I used to love infomercials. So I used to make um, lots of infomercials and wrote my friends in and stuff. So it's pretty good preparation, spending lots of time on my own doing. Yeah, well, this is the stuff. thing. We might have to. So you kind of grew up in this household. And um, where did the acting bug come from? I um, think from. So my sister, Cloda, she's uh, eight years older than me. And I saw her in a school play when I was about, uh, was about five or six. And so she was in the secondary school. And when you were in the primary school, you'd get to go and watch like a matinee performance of their musical. So they were doing, was it Calamity Jane, I think? And oh, right. um I Doris was like, Day. yeah, but I was like, this is, this is the big biz. This is amazing. So this is like a story that my mum always tells that I knew I was going to this. So I w- wanted to get something very fancy to wear. So I was, yeah, I was six. So I went into her wardrobe and got like this black spangly waistcoat covered in sequins. Then I wore that over like my flowery jumper and my sister was pretty about 14 at the time and looked down in the audience and saw this little baby Liza Minnelli like waving at her <laughs> and I think I saw her in that and was like oh yeah I'll do this as a job I like this. Now the thing about knowing what you want to do and then actually doing it are two very different things yes. and there's a lot of people when they're younger they say I want to be on TV or I want to act and I want to do this but to actually stick out in an industry that's very tough and people forget how tough how do you get yourself into the room? I, I always knew deep down it's what I wanted to do but I didn't come from an acting background I didn't know any actors growing up you know I think it's a real shame in Ireland that we don't teach drama in schools not just for people who want to get into acting but just for kids in general to help with their confidence and you know public speaking and lots of different things and um, I one of my drama teachers, Claire Power, acted as my agent from when I was about 14. She so sent I, a lot of us to this voiceover open call. And I've always loved accents. I've always been really fascinated by them. So I got hired by this company to do um, voiceovers for cartoons. So I used to voice like all the little princesses and mice and <laughs> whatever. <laughs> princesses and mice. Yeah, it's my Such speciality. A contrast. <laughs> Everyone's Great got a niche. <laughs> Um, um, talking about podcasts, which is um, a great way of storytelling, uh, you did um, one called Duvet Days, which is a BBC show, but you actually um, recorded from, is that the bedroom you're in now? Did you record yes, that so one Yes, so this is there? my second podcast from this bed. Hello, <laughs> agent got an email and she rang me, she said, the BBC want to come and interview and I went, oh, that's cool. And they went, in your bed. And I went, well, what? And I think I was like between jobs at the time. So, you know, it's very expensive to live in London. So if I'm not working, I generally don't stay there so um, I was like oh I'm I'm at home like me and my mom and stuff and she's like no no it's fine so yeah Abby Hollick this lady came and interviewed me in, in my bed <laughs> and it was lovely it was really sweet and you sort of just yeah sit in and 
just chat away and it was lovely. It's actually great because she's had everyone from like Christine and the Queens to yourself, Monroe Bergdorf. And uh, I've never talked about this podcast before. Um, I actually didn't I, know about it. Uh, but I, I always think when you get people in a different place, you get so much more out of them. I've talked about Jessie Ware before and you know, she talks with her mother as she's cooking a meal with somebody. How did you feel? Did you feel a little bit more open when you're in your own bed, a bit more comfortable to reveal more? I think I felt nervous at the beginning because I was like, it's such, a, it's such a strange setup. And Wait, what were you wearing? Like pajamas? Oh, no, I know. I, <laughs> I think I wore dungarees. Okay. <laughs> I had dungarees. No, I didn't want to commit whole hog. Although my mum thought it was quite cool to have the BBC, you know, at your house and stuff. Um, but yeah, no, we're dungarees. And we said, yeah, t- it took me a while. But then you do just start opening up. And it's fun because, I mean, in this room, I've as I said, it's my childhood bedroom. So there's so many little things around that you could kind of talk about. I mean, I have posters from plays I did long, long ago and pictures. And my bedroom at home hasn't changed and my mom still has it the exact same way. It's like a shrine to me. Yeah. Pretty much. Has uh, there ever been, you know, talk about updating the bedroom from your childhood? Or there, it's I mean, always I think at same? one point I did, like, it's probably about 21, like just finishing college. And I was like, I'm going to update it and make it all cool and slick and then I'm really glad I never did because it I mean it's like got doll wallpaper it's got all the old teddy bears in the corner <laughs> but you know I have like my grown-up flat in London that's all you know fancy and I got all my fancy glasses and stuff and then I come back here it's quite nice to come back to that old space I think it's really comforting and I know not everybody has that so I'm lucky I, I remember taking my wardrobe doors down when I was about 15 and painting them bright pink and they're still bright pink and <laughs> But no, it's nice. It's comforting. Love that. And I want I want to go back for when you left because you, you you live in London now, but you're back home at at the moment. Yes. Um, when did you first move to London? Oh gosh, um, when I first moved to the UK in two thousand and eight. I felt so alone. Well, I was in Oxford initially, um, is where I went to drama school first off. And I was like the only Irish person at drama school. And I Um, loved that. But I I had London first in 2011. And I had the worst time. (laughs) I had a terrible time. And I always think it's like important to tell people that because I think you think about, I'm probably same as yourself, going to a big city and like, I'm going to live my dreams. I'm going to do all this. And then it like doesn't happen that way and it's really mm. disconcerting and you're broke and you know it, it it's hard but so, yeah. it was 2011 was my first first time in London and definitely not a success when you went over to, to study how difficult is it to to get into drama college oh it's so hard I I had done university first I'd done three years in Galway and then a year studying abroad in Malta so um, I was Malta yeah I lived in Malta for a year how, what's Malta like amazing I had like the best time of my life there I loved it so much I was like in this place with all the other international students I was like 19 and we just had a ball and I hadn't lived away from home for my first um, out of college so you know probably couldn't go as mad as I wanted to and then I went there and it was just like you know lived with a girl from Russia two from America one from Spain one from Belgium one from France like it was so amazing to me and yeah I was there for the whole year did no studying was it was terribly (laughs) badly behaved but yeah amazing loved it so did you have to audition for Oxford yes so yeah I was just finishing up my degree and then it's like this is really what I want to do. But it's it's hard to admit that, I think. You know, when you don't know anyone else doing it, you're not like, oh, well, so-and-so did this, so maybe I could do it. I didn't really have that. And I was going, oh, what's everyone going to think if I turn around and go, I really want to be an actor? Are they going to laugh at me? Even though I had done jobs and stuff that, 
you know, it was starting in a whole new country and I always felt like the drama schools in, in the UK were longer established. So that's where I wanted to go, but it was scary. So I left it on the long finger. And then by the time I kind of plucked up the courage to apply, I think there was only two schools left taking applications. So one was Lambda and the other was Oxford School of Drama. And I'd heard of Lambda before, but never Oxford. And then I saved up the money to go to the Lambda audition and just bombed it. So I, I remember doing a speech from A Midsummer Night's Dream. I was doing Helena, I think, mm. who was the tall one. And I should have been doing Hermia, who's like the little one. I just, you know, I just, it was a bad decision. And um, I sat down on the floor and blanked. It went out. Forgot of, your words. They went out of my head. It was just gone. And then I just looked at them and they were like, very kind. And were like, would you like to start again? And I was like, yes, please. Started again, sat down on the floor, blanked at the exact same point. And then was so upset because I was in London on my own. I didn't know a soul. And I remember <laughs> the thing I did to cheer myself up, instead of like, I don't know what normal people would do, go get an ice cream. I went to see Platform 9 and 3 quarters in King's Cross. <laughs> Harry Potter. <laughs> yeah, I was like, that'll make me feel better. Did it? Did it? And somewhat, yeah. I had to ask a tourist to take a picture of me with the trolley because, like, I didn't have any friends. So, um, I did that. Um, but then I, yeah, so I'd really screwed that up. And then Oxford was like a few weeks after that, and I went, and I think I, I kind of screwed that one up as well. It was for their three year course, and I was like, okay, I don't know what I'm going to do now because I've screwed both of those up. And then got a call from Oxford a few weeks later that were like, we would like you to do our foundation course if you're interested, which was not like the three year, it was like a six month and I was right at the chance. I was so happy. So it, it's, I mean, it's so competitive because even after Oxford, I finished that foundation course and thought I was like, I've got this, I know what to do. And mm-hmm. I didn't get back into a course at drama school and I was like devastated. I think back now and I'm like, yeah, I think I did really boring auditions that year because I came out and I was like, the key is doing nothing, which is, you know, surprisingly not the thing. But I think applying to drama school, like I used to have, you know, these lists drawn out of like, okay, these people went here and if you do a speech at this place, you should do this kind of thing. And you try and like guess the system. And it's a tough thing because I think in an audition for a role, it's like, are you right for this part? Whereas with drama school, it's like, are you good in general? And mm-hmm. to get a no from that is like really crippling. You're like, oh my God. Especially after having been at drama school and gotten some training to then go back and not get in. You're like, how bad must I be? This you like- think of those people like Kerry Mulligan and George Mackay that never went to drama school and who are amazing so it's I mean it's it's just a different acting is a different path for everybody there's no one way to kind of to do it you you said uh, when you were thinking about this is what I want to do for the rest of my life you were wondering what would people think what did people think what did your family think when the the youngest baby in the family went off to Oxford um, I mean I think I was quite embarrassed about it in a way and I think my dad you know having been in the army his whole life since he was like 19 I think you just thought, what the hell? I mean, they'd always known, obviously, that I'd been really into it and that, you know, I'd worked somewhat. But I think to then go to rely on it as your career is a bit terrifying because it's realistically, a lot of people, they never make a living out of it, which is really crap, but it's just the way things are. I think think people will be shocked by that because from the outside, you're an overnight success. It's hilarious because I'm so not. And I always think we should try and dispel that myth for people because mm-hmm. I think it's so easy to to fixate on that. But I think, I don't know how good being an overnight success is because I know we've certainly talked about it and how mm-hmm. sometimes when success comes on people too suddenly, 
it, they don't deal with it well. <laughs> you know, your big break, uh, which I didn't know about until I heard you mention it in, in a podcast, was the open audition um, going for the Vic, which you you kind of had to do it yourself. And I think people sometimes are waiting for the call. The call doesn't always come to you. You oh, have God, to no. make it happen. No, I, um, I mean, I mean that, there was a million things that I tried to get that I had did. to be extremely front-footed. But it's funny, I think it's such a classic story because I've seen it happen to friends too. At the point that you go, maybe this isn't working out, I might give up. I feel like mm-hmm. if it's meant to happen, something will pop up. I so left I- London because I couldn't afford it anymore. I was living back at home. I felt like a big failure, honestly. And I was working in an optician's two days a week. And I was on the bus coming home and saw a tweet from the old Vic that were like, we're having an open call for the old Vic New Voices Festival. And I knew how rare that was. So I was like, okay, I'm going to apply for this. And I was like, I'll figure out the the details later. Like I didn't have very much money. So I knew it was going to be an expense for me to go to London. But I was like, I'm just going to do this. So I got my mom to pick me up from the bus, drive me home. I went on the like family PC, like applied, got a spot. And they were gone within hours because open auditions just like don't happen. And um, then I, after I'd applied, I went, what am I doing? Like, this is dumb. I've had auditions. I haven't gotten them. Why am I putting all my hopes and dreams into this? And I thought, okay, look, just just do it. Stop overthinking it. And then when I got to London to do it, it was a panel of about 12 people, I think, and about 30 actors and everyone auditioned in front of everyone else. Was that intimidating? It Uh, was, but I think... Or did it it give you a bit of a a drive? I think it gave me a bit. I think at that point, because I was like, I've got nothing to lose. Like, I I decided to do... A monologue from a play that I've been in called Chapel Street, written by my friend Luke Barnes. And I was like, I'm just going to do something short, snappy and funny. And because I didn't know what I was auditioning for. How do you audition for something if you don't know what the role is? Yeah, but I mean, maybe that was freeing. I don't know, because I wasn't trying to fit into anything. I was like, I'm just going to do this. And and then a few weeks later, I got a call to be like, okay, you've been shortlisted. And I was like, whoa, okay, amazing. And then I went in to read for, I didn't know what the play was. And it turned out to be this play called Jess and Joe Forever, which turned out to be one of the most beautiful things I've ever, ever read and still have ever read. It's, um, mm. if anyone wants to get it, like you get the script on Amazon and it's just a beautiful read. It's a love story about this young boy and young girl who meet when they're like nine years old. And it's about every summer they meet in Norfolk growing up. And she's very posh. Um, oh, yeah. Also, the character was very posh and from London. So they rang me when I got um, the recall. And they were like, by the way, she's got a really English accent, this character. So if you can't do it, we don't want. I went, no, no, I can do it. I can do it. I was like, I'll, you know, I'll nail it. I'll I'll get this. So I went to read for them and then, yeah, got the role, which was amazing. It's, it's. Um, I'm just, listening to your story, I just feel so many parallels to my life because I my first big job was the MTV um presenting and I entered a competition it was an open casting and I had to I was living in Ireland and I had to had no money had to kind of get myself over there to audition and again we're all auditioning in front of each other and I just so it's so interesting to listen to you talk about that because it was one of those things where I'm like I have no idea how to get into this industry my family don't come from this uh everything I saw I saw that open audition I went feck it because if you're not in it, you can't get it. And people aren't going to knock knock on my door. I have to knock on theirs. But so so- I remember when 
you got that, like not knowing you at all. But we, like, it's always when an Irish person does well, we were like, oh my God, this girl from Bray is the new MTV presenter. But it's just like, it's like so exciting when you see an Irish person do well. You're like, oh my God, brilliant. And just, yeah. And and even you saying 2008, when you first went to the UK, I, I remember just feeling really lonely at 2008, coming over here and not knowing anybody. And oh God, people, yeah. people at home were like, oh, you've got this great lifestyle. You're off doing this. And probably similar to now, even when you're filming, you know, you feel finished filming Bridgerton and when you're doing Dairy Girls people don't realize how long those days are and how unglamorous yeah like for an example on Bridgerton as I said I did a 14 day stint like that's every single day and you could get picked up at home I mean 4 30 in the morning and then you get in it's about two and a half hours hair makeup costume and then you film till about 6 p.m. Then you get derigged. So you don't get home till like 8 p.m. and you go to bed. <laughs> I asked you uh, during the week to send me over just some different podcasts that, that you've been listening to. Because I always find it really interesting what variety people. of things. And I, I'm still amazed by every time I ask people to do this podcast that I'm getting new podcasts all the time that I haven't even heard of. And I want to talk about one because I listened to me, me and Ian actually listened to one this morning and we loved it. Mystery show. I'd never heard of this podcast before. Isn't um, it so good? And there's only six episodes. It was hosted by a girl called Starly, uh, started in 2015. And tell me a little bit about what it is. So Mystery Show, it's unlike any other podcast you'll ever listen to. There's only that one series of it, really sadly. I think they tried to do another one and it didn't work. But basically, basically it's where just- this girl yeah, called Starly Kine people send her in these mysteries of things they can't solve. Like one is that someone found a belt buckle in a bush. <laughs> so they're not, your, they're not your average, because I've listened to a lot of like uh, The Perfect Murder and The uh, Last Days of August and all these like big mysteries of what happened or who did it. While these are more, more smaller mysteries in everyday life. <laughs> yeah, they're just like things that are not Googleable, and you can kind of, and they always end up opening up these crazy backstory so the belt buckle one it was like this belt buckle that had a toaster on it that you clicked it and up came a piece of toast and they were like we want to find out whose belt this was and then another one was about Jake Gyllenhaal's height was that the first one did you listen to that one what's what? the Jake Gyllenhaal one the Jake couldn't find out what his real height was because every website <laughs> listed a different height so she went on this like big mission to find out what height he was. And it was, it's just so charming and it's so different. And they have another one where this author had seen a paparazzi photo of Britney Spears from like years ago where she was holding a copy of her book, but she's not a well-known author and not like, you know, she was like, how the hell did Britney Spears get my book? I don't know what the connection mm-hmm. is. So they investigated that, but it's just something really charming and comforting about it. It's It's so good. It kind of goes back to the human mind and the curiosity of the human mind to to get to the bottom of something. Um, Even the things at the very beginning of the show, they say, find out why he never called you back. Do you know that guy that never called you back? (laughs) Was it me or was it him? Um, The one I listened to was about the video store. So it was this girl who had... Remember video stores back in the day, if you're if you're uh, old enough to remember them, the blockbusters (laughs) and all that. And she had rented a video... And then, you know, you pay whatever it is overnight. She went to return it the next day and the video shop was gone. Just gone. Just disappeared completely. The building was there, but it was... And she was like, what happened to that video shop? And uh, there's such little stories, but just how... I think it's how she tells the stories as well. You, you just get hooked. Here's what I think is weird about the whole thing. Okay. The store did not look like it was going to be gone. There were other people there. There were movies on all the shelves. The way Laura tells it, the next night, it was as though the video store never existed. 
The building itself was still there, but the windows were covered with brown craft paper. And behind them, Laura could see that the inside of the store had been completely emptied out. Even the shelving units were gone. What had been a thriving business had overnight become a shuttered storefront. I asked Laura if she had any relevant clues. I remember the woman who helped me had a mustache, a very Mm. strong mustache. In a way that was working or wasn't working? It's very rare that I think that it works on a way. Frida Kahlo rocked it. Um, You know, Brezhnev's wife, I seem to recall, having a mustache. But usually I think it's a tough call. Mm -hmm. So the mustache girl said nothing. Nothing. I still had a card to rent. I became a member. The day before it closed. The day before it closed, and she didn't say anything like, why don't you write this in pencil? Just do it. Write it in the air. Sign a signature in the air. And how do you know it was the next day? Because I remember what movie it was, and I can remember and tell you why I returned it the next day. Go for it. Must Love Dogs. Oh. I rented Must Love Dogs. And the reason I know that that's the movie is because I now own Must Love Dogs, and I did not love dogs. I I must not, must love dogs. And you don't return movies late? No, never. Because, see, if I was telling the story, it could could have been a year later. Oh, no, no. That is so against my nature. And did they ever call you or contact you or send you a letter? They didn't say, we've shut our doors. The bank would like to know what happened to must love dogs. (laughs) Do you have it, Laura? (laughs) And can you believe that Christopher Plummer asked his daughter out on a date? Did you get creeped out by that? (laughs) She's a, such a brilliant storyteller. Like, I feel like if there was any time for that podcast to come back, it would be now. I'm like, we need stuff like that right now. That would be great. Do you know what I want to know? Where are all my left socks go? Oh my or God, right stop. Like, I, none of them. I, moved, I do that earlier on. I have all these little jobs around the house because I'm in the house all the time. And yes. one was to, to match my socks. <laughs> and I was like, finally, I'm going to do this. It took the coronavirus <laughs> to finally get me to match my socks. None of them match. Where are they? No, it's, Where do it's they completely go? bizarre. I have the same thing. I'm like... I was like, no one else is in this flat. Who else could it be? It has to be me, but I didn't do it. I don't know what's going on. (laughs) I love it. But the mystery show, there is only six episodes. Um, Yes. Have a little listen. It really, really, and really heartwarming. Feel good. Definitely. Yeah. It's, yeah, there's not, there's nothing else really like it. So I feel like it just takes the kind of little mundane things in life and just makes it into this big epic story. And there's something really nice about it. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Where do you normally uh, listen to podcasts? Oh, gosh. I mean, on planes and things like that. Um, Really good. I mean, I always have to be entertained if I'm... Because I end up flying over, 
you know, to and from Ireland quite a bit to see my family. Um, so what I, I need something to entertain me always on those. I don't know how people on a plane can just sit there. Even for an hour, I'm like, no, God, I need constant simulation. simulation. I, I love um, I love your Instagram because I feel like I get a real insight into you. I know you put a lot of glamorous things up on you on red carpets, but <laughs> even uh, when you were filming Bridgerton, the amount of time that you have to spend just sitting in a trailer. When the show comes out, you'll be able to see we've got the most incredible lavish costumes. I've got this epic wig we're filming in the most beautiful locations but we are not allowed to share anything it's like very 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 top secret right now so you know I'd say to Netflix can I take a picture of this glove and post it they'd be like absolutely not nothing because it's gonna be it's gonna be epic when it launches it will be worth it but Bridgerton is based on a book series by this author called Julia Quinn and the Mm -hmm. books are huge in Brazil the minute the cast got announced there was fan accounts set for all of us in Brazil and they send the most like lovely supportive comments and but they're dying for any any Bridgerton related content, but I'm very limited in what I can share right now. So I try and be inventive. <laughs> but a lot of it is just me sat in a trailer on my own, to be honest. Yeah, I was thinking, I'm like, God, that poor girl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're a podcast to listen to. Uh, we were talking about the mystery show um, and just suppose human nature and the curiosity we have. Uh, another podcast, which I'm a big fan of, and we did talk about on the show before, was Getting Curious with John. Yes. Your soul sister. How are you? I went to your birthday party, uh, which was great fun, by the way. Oh Thank you God, very much. It was like the last party of the century. I'm like, oh my God, did we do anything after that? that was Thank like, God we had that party because it's going to be a while. It's going to have to keep us going for a while. Um, I love getting curious because uh, I mean, Jonathan, he talks to everybody, including yourself, but he talks to everyone. He had Senator Elizabeth Warren on, uh, like just had such a mixture of people, which which I love. Um, I love just because as humans, uh, like you, you're interested in so many different things. There's so many different aspects. But what I want to know is how did Nicola Coughlin become friends with Jonathan Vanessa? <laughs> and why was he at her birthday party? Okay, so it's a very, it's a hilariously ridiculous story. So I was filming a show called Harlots at the time that Queer Eye came out and I was like, oh my God, the world needs this show right now. It is such a tonic. But I I always wear very comfy clothes because you're, you know, especially shooting period drama, you're in a corset all day. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, I want the comfiest jumper possible to like sit and get my hair and makeup done in. And then I was like, oh, if I had a jumper with that Jonathan's face, like that would make me happy. Because like they're just such a joyous person. But then I went out. That's completely, completely normal, Nicola. I mean, that's just the way my brain works. Um, but I went online and because the show was only brand new there was nothing so I was like oh what am I gonna do so I just made one and I was like oh amazing and then it came and I was like oh so happy about it and then I put it on Instagram and I was like oh I wanted the perfect jumper but it didn't exist so I got this made and then Jonathan saw it and what I found out from their side was that Jonathan was still like hairdressing pretty much full-time in LA when the show had come out and they didn't really know if it was going to take off still and saw my video and this was someone that they didn't know the other side of the world that like loved the show and had their face on a jumper and like started bawling crying and then sent me a message of them crying and be like oh my god girl I love you and I was like what I love you what is what's happening here and then we just started just speaking um over Instagram and messaging one another and then Johnny watched Dairy Girls and then I was going to go to New York for my birthday in 2019 and then I was like I'm coming to New York if you want it like do you want to hang out so we did and just like really hit it off and then 
Yeah. But yeah, like if anyone's wondering what Jonathan is like, like as special as on Queer Eye, but actually way more. Like just a magical, wonderful person. And, and Jonathan's podcast is so incredible because Jonathan is such a curious person and they're so interested in people. And I think yeah. that's so key. And so important as well with his audience. He gets people looking at social issues differently. There was one, um, how can we twerk on climate change with Bill <laughs> Nye, the science guy. Yeah. And it just gives you a fresh outlook because I think a lot of people, there's so much information out there. There's so much news and it's trying to get it in a digestible, fun format, which he, which he does. Complete. If you're passionate about... Um, climate change. Uh, yeah, but no, but, but equality. That's what I'm trying to say. Climate change has a relationship to every uh, other issue that is important does. to us and people don't see that. So what I'm begging you to do Bill, this whole time why? is paint the fucking picture to people on why they should give a fuck. Oh yeah. Why so. does climate change, why is it so important to us right here? Why is it an economic issue? Why is it an equality issue? So if we didn't need to buy oil from overseas, then the the threat of terrorism to our oil supply would just not be that significant. And that would be true not just for the U.S., but for any country or large area with a group of countries. It would, this would seem like common sense. And then, uh, so you're saying our dependence on oil from countries that are rich in oil from the Middle East starts to create some of the imbalance oh, in yeah. the first place. Oh, yeah, and then wait, wait, there's more. So because the... Uh, because of desertification, because deserts are getting bigger in the Middle East, uh, land is drying out, young people are leaving the family farms and going to the big city looking for work. And this is where, apparently, to a large extent, you get people, young people, young men, who are disenchanted and get recruited by terrorist organizations. Like that, even that is connected to climate change. And then the terrorist organizations that take over these dams that are used for irrigation, for raising farm food in those areas. Uh, this is all related to having weather patterns change. So for us, in the literate, scientifically literate side of this, climate change's tentacles reach every facet. Now, when you talk about equality, if we had more equality worldwide, let alone in your own county, wherever you live, people, there's just less conflict. When people have enough, they don't they don't get uh, at each other's throats. I always really respect people that are, you know, they're smart but not condescending and can make it accessible and fun. I think Jonathan and John Ronson, who's someone I so admire. Oh, I love John Ronson. Yeah, they both do that so well where it's like super smart but accessible, fun and funny. And I think that's really important. It, it just makes you can you, tell when people are interested in stuff. And mm -hmm. they are like really care about it. They'll make you care about it. I always think John Ronson's podcasts are really good for any. We've talked about it before. And so show. good, really, so really good. good. Something to do when you're at home uh, at the moment. Yes, uh, I want to talk about uh, Call Chelsea Peretti, um, <gasps> and there's one particular one which is Rain's coming in. Now, for those who mightn't recognise the name Chelsea Peretti, you'll know who she is because it's Gina from Brooklyn Nine Nine. Yes. Okay, I am obsessed with this. My friend Camilla, one of my best friends introduced me to this. So Chelsea Purdy does this podcast whenever she feels like it, which I absolutely love. You, know you can tell she's just completely being herself. And I really enjoy that with people when they're not trying, you know, like, oh, it's not like really managed and glossy. Like she at the minute, she's just posting all these dinners that she's making for her kid. And then like her tweets are hilarious. But she, yeah, she is just inherently so funny. Like I adore her. But 
this podcast that she does, this particular one, she's written this <laughs> play called Rain's Coming In. And it's like set in like, you know, this like little town in America. And then there's this one daughter who's gone off to New York and she's come back with a fancy Nespresso machine and <laughs> it's got um, Kate Berlant and John Early in it. Mm-hmm. And if you don't know who they are, you should watch Search Party which mm-hmm. is one of the best shows ever. I think it's, it's also a uh, perfect time now to listen to because with theatres unfortunately um, being postponed and shows yeah. being postponed, I do I do miss just going having that live feel of going somewhere. And they have a live audience, so you kind of feel yeah, like yeah. you're at this show, you're in the theatre. Completely. Like, and I think it does something really well, which I like. like it, it pokes fun at theatre as well, which I think theatre needs sometimes, you know, because it can take itself very seriously. And then this totally flips that on its head so it's yeah it's very funny it's very good well let me help you with the door now it's starting to rain here really big out there <laughs> big old drops the size of gumballs terry ann oh my goodness you look incredible my first child come in here sit down beside me let someone get you a water well. Put your bags down, Terry Ann. Cat got your tongue. Talk to us. How's New York City? How's advertising? What do city folk act like? Why you been gone so long? You don't think you're better than us now, do you? <laughs> no, no, not better. Just, uh, different. Oh? <laughs> different like how? Like, how do you mean, Terry Ann? Like, in a good way or a bad way? What's different? Yeah, how do you mean, Terry Ann? Oh, I don't know. Y'all are putting me on the spot, Lord. <laughs> I've been traveling all day and I'm not ready to make a speech. Okay. I do enough of that in my advertising company. I need to lay down a minute and put a hot washcloth on my face for a good solid 20 minutes. Take some of this rain chill out of me. Hey, I bought y'all an espresso machine. She pulls a small espresso machine out of her bag. I don't see why not. <laughs> right, I'm really pleased that I've lasted this long without talking about Dairy Girls because now <laughs> I'm going to... And now I was like, I'm going to hold out the sort of things I need to talk about, but uh, we got to talk about Dairy Girls yes. um, and landing that role because everything you did up to there and you spent years kind of creating that path and had knockbacks and back and forth and back and forth. And, and then suddenly, I think when you probably got the role, didn't even realise how big the show was going to be. Oh God, no, you can't. I mean... You always hope and dream and, you know, do that thing where you're like, I'm being interviewed on The Late Late Show in my brain talking about, oh, what a surprise the show is. But you, I mean, I I think there's a very, you really don't think that's going to actually happen. I love that you mentioned The Late Late Show because we had Niall Horan on the podcast recently. And he he hosted SNL, like Saturday Night Live, huge show over in America. But it was when he did The Late Late Show that his parents recognized how far he'd come. 100%. Yeah. It's funny because I brought my mum and my sister because we did the, the five of us, Dairy Girls, we did the Late Late together. And my mum was like, oh, well, I have to sit in the front row. And I was like, I will put in a request. She was like, oh, I can't walk up all the steps. And I was like, yeah, right. You just want to be like right up there. <laughs> yeah, it's Point the big position. Um, I was doing Jess and Joe, the play that I'd gotten with the Old Vic. That um, had been like a year afterwards. We did a very, mm-hmm. we did a one-off performance at the Old Vic. And then I got taken on to another theatre called The Orange Tree. And when this is all over, I would really like to encourage people to go to there. It's in Richmond in London. And they have the most excellent programming of like 
a lot of theatres in London. Uh, Paul Miller, who runs it, he's got a lot of, supports a lot of new writers and stuff and also does a lot of classic plays. But yeah, please do support them when all of this craziness is over because they deserve it. Um, but yeah, I was doing that show at the time and then I just signed with my agent because I also, I had always wanted to be with Curtis Brown, this agency, because uh, I really loved one. their actors. I was like, I just feel like they're doing the work I would love to be doing and I really love the way they're, they've helped them shape their careers and stuff. And then I invited like a billion agents to come and see Jess and Joe Forever, the play, and only one came and they were from Curtis Brown. <sighs> and yeah, it's funny the way, you know, things work out. But I mean, there was about 60 agents that didn't come. <laughs> but um, yeah, the one I wanted to do. All you so, need is one. All, all you, you need, need is one, one person to say yes. But yes, yeah, so my first audition, it just so happened with um, my agent was Dairy Girls. I remember getting the script through and it was like, not like anything I'd ever read before. I'd never seen young women written that way and mm-hmm. kind of allowed to be grotesque and over the top funny. And it just felt real. You know, it felt like, though, this is how my friends spoke when we were in school. We were, you know, very obsessed with one another. And it wasn't all about, you know, what boys are we going to go out with and what's this? And it felt very fresh. But mm-hmm. I had a very strong connection to the script the minute I got it. And that doesn't happen very often. But I was like, I said to my sister, I don't know why, but I feel like I'm going to get this. I really feel it in my bones. And she was like, well, okay, well, then you will. Okay, let's just go with that. And then it was like, it was a six-month audition process, so I didn't <laughs> immediately get the role, but in, in the end, we got so there. So what's, what's involved in that six months? Oh, gosh. So, so the first scene I got sent was a uh, denim jacket. I'm not being an individual on my own. That was the very first mm-hmm. page of Dairy Girls that I ever read. And then the other scene for the audition was with David Donnelly outside the shop played by Anthony Boyle, who's now in a big HBO show. He's a great actor. He is fantastic. He's going to be a megastar. But that was the other scene that was in it. And I was like, God, this is really good. So I, you know, I read as much as I, I think I only had those two scenes. So I had to try and like figure out who the character was just from that. But I Mm -hmm. felt like Lisa's writing was very clear. So I was like, I feel like I know who Claire is and I know who Claire was in my school. And then I had to go and try and learn the accent because it wasn't, I'd never done it before. So um, as I've said to people many times, I learned it from Nadine Coyle. Because, <laughs> like, you know, you could, there was no show from Derry on TV. There was no reference point. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, listening to that. And then I went to meet Carla Strong, the casting director at Hattrick in London and went and did my first audition and felt like it went well, but you know, you don't know. And then I didn't hear anything for like a month, month and a half. And then... Just before Christmas, I remember like then going and buying clothes that I thought Claire would wear. So it's funny because I bought like little dungarees and t-shirts and stuff and was like, just had this idea of what she would look like. So I was like, I want to feel a little bit like maybe she would feel. And um, my second audition, I think I met with Carla, the casting director again, Lisa, who created the show, Liz Lewin, our executive producer, I met with them and just we went through a couple of scenes and then I waited again for ages. <laughs> and then I think my last edition was a chemistry test. So it was the first time I met the girls. I know with a lot of shows that come out, it's always like, who's in it? Who's the person? Yeah. Who's the famous face that's in it? Well, you guys were all kind of on that journey together. Yeah, it's bonded us together and that we all kind of get what it's like. And we're like, yeah, Carla. it's funny thinking back about that first day that we all met. And I mean, I, I 100% thought I'd screwed up the last audition. 
Well, I'm very happy that you didn't. Uh, looking a, back and kind of listening to your journey, and it's there's a, probably different parts where you easily could have could have given up, and you finally get to that stage where you get the job, you get the big break, and that's what so many actors are looking for to book the job, get the break, and during that time when career wise everything is is going so well, you you lost your dad in in that time, and. Life just seems shit. I, it's I, like life seems unfair. I I lost him five days before I got the part in Dairy Girls. So he sadly, he, he didn't know I, I ever got it. It's, it's sad that he never got to see it. And there's, mm-hmm. I mean, I'm so privileged. And I'm so lucky and I'm, I have a really special life. Um, But there's, there's of course so many times that I get, you know, like the first time we were at the BAFTAs and we won all these incredible awards, you know, there's always that tinge of sadness that he's not here to, to see it. And, you know, there's, but there's even silly things. Like I, I've got like three like little plants in my apartment that I've like been keeping alive. And I'm like, I'd love to just like tell my dad that, I, like, you know, he's like really green fingered. He loved it. You know, I think at the end of the day, what most of us want is just to make our parents really proud. But yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. Definitely. And there'll always be those, things that remind you of him that he's there as well like you said the plants in your house and different things he told you on the way and and the support that that he gave you to to follow your dream and completely as you said when you turned around and said this is what I want to do that you weren't laughed at I'm when, certain he's so proud of you what Nicola what is your dream role or oh, have you had it gosh um I would love to play Sally Bowles in Cabaret I love <gasps> that sort of type of character and I think like a very good heart but sort of selfish and Mm-hmm. I think just interesting women. I would love to play a lot of interesting women if I could. I, I think real women as well. I feel in the totally. past a lot of roles are two-dimensional and it's that real, like even listening to your story about how you how you got into the industry and how hard it is and how things aren't perfect. Because sometimes through Disney and growing up, we think everything should work out a certain way and it doesn't. Completely. And I think I not to have everything polished and perfect, but then I also am like, oh, well, this is boring. I won't share it. But then we don't see a lot of the hard days of the boring days. Like, oh. um, We've had some great suggestions of podcasts from you there. And, and all, if when, you were to do a podcast, I feel like, what would you do it about? Oh, so I, funny, my friend and I have talked about this, but I would love to do the Irish version of Rain's coming in, like the Chelsea Peretti one. I've certainly, the idea has been floated. It's been talked about. So we'll, we'll see. Lots of time on our hands now, so it might be the perfect time to do it. And uh, how is everything back in Galway? Because Ireland and the UK are a bit different because obviously different governments and stuff like that. Yeah. But, uh, how is everyone back uh, back home? So it's it's uh, it's not on full lockdown here, but it's pretty it's pretty full on. Like all the schools have been closed for a couple weeks now. And I mean, I haven't seen anyone other than my mom. I don't see my other my siblings, my nieces and nephews or anything like that. So people are taking it very, very seriously. I'm only trying to go to the shop like once a week and stuff. And and you're lucky because you've had, I suppose, this show, Bridgerton, which will be coming out later in the year. You've already recorded it. But how yes. are a lot of your friends working like out of work actors or actors who maybe have had shows recently cancelled? How are they doing? I mean, you know, actors, producers, directors, all of this, we're self-employed people. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, there's a whole other level of stress that people don't think about. And also once this stops we have we have nothing we have no income and I, I've, I've just come off a job so I'm, I'm I'm lucky that I have a little bit saved up but I know people in really dire situations you know and it's gonna be really really hard so I think we just need to do what we can to support one another what Alison Spittle is doing is is incredible yes. she has started doing something called the co-video party where every night at 9 p.m she yeah. puts a movie on Netflix and then 
she hosts like dress up competitions and she live tweets it. And then she, she's a comedian and has lost all her income. So she is trying to like, you know, self-fund and like pay her rent basically. But you and can like basically give her the price of a coffee for doing mm-hmm. it. So which I think like if you if you really enjoy someone's work, someone like a comedian, a poet, a writer, whatever, and they're trying to, you know, generate stuff to entertain you at this time, if you can donate to them, I would say you know, please try and do that. Yeah. Speaking about supporting people, uh, Patreon is great as well. I There's two podcasts that I love. Uh, one is Blind Boys, who's who's on the first series. Yes. Um, Rubber Bandits. Uh, and another is Jonathan Regan, um, who's is an Irishman abroad. And I I actually subscribe to that. It's free to listen to, but I subscribe to it because if I, I go to a shop and I buy a magazine or I download a video on, uh, video, I'm so old school, I download <laughs> a film um, uh, online, I have to pay for it. So why shouldn't I pay for that if you do have it so patreon is really great just to for a lot of performers comedians um artists who who normally would get paid from gigs and tickets i think it's really important to get on patreon i know there's a few other ones as well out there um, and support them in any way you can there's another thing for comedians called heckle the virus where you can support uh, comedians because a lot of people now are putting their work online on podcasts on streaming services on insta lives and not being paid so if there's any way that we can give back and support them that's really important absolutely yeah massively agree I love that. Um, I really loved this. Uh, I really needed this chat today. So thank you. So did I. So did I. It's definitely brightened my day up a huge amount. Um, thank you so much for, for all the recommendations there as well of the podcast that, that you've listened to. And we will put them up as well for people to see. And do think about doing something uh, online. Um, I think I'd love to see a Nicola Coffin version of Chelsea Peretti show. I'd love that. I will okay. try. I'll try my best. Thank you thank so you. much. Uh, lots of love back lots to Ireland. Lots of love. Thank you. Bye. And that's it. Another episode down as we delve deep into my guest's audio world. I hope you get cast away by today's top podcast picks. Yeah, I just said that. Sorry. All of the podcasts we've mentioned today are included in the episode show notes. Now, if you love this conversation as much as I did, please share your thoughts by leaving a review. And if you'd like to receive weekly installments of Cast Away delivered straight to your phone, hit the subscribe button. Until next time, that's it from me. Take care. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.